How do you do? Mr. Carl Lamille feels it would be a little unkind to present this picture without just a word of friendly warning. We are about to unfold the story of Frankenstein, a man of science who sought to create a man after his own image without reckoning upon God. It is one of the strangest tales ever told. It deals with the two great mysteries of creation, life, and death. I think it will thrill you. It may shock you. It might even horrify you. Dun, so if you feel that you do not care to subject your nerves to such a strain, now's your chance to, uh, well, we warned you. All right, that was the <laughs> monologue from Frankenstein, delivered by Edward Van Sloan. 1931. It's today's episode. It's the third episode of the Rabbit Weasel podcast, where we talk about horror movies. Uh, I'm going to try and come up with a more clever tagline than we talk about horror movies, but it's accurate, we, though. <laughs> yeah, you know, thumbs things up pretty well. So uh, I'm Jared. I'm the host, big horror nerd here. I'm joined again with my uh, brother, Justin, and my sister-in-law, Mia. Um, Justin, how are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. Uh, been a crazy week, busy, but uh, you know, I got an excuse to watch Frankenstein twice since we spoke last and read the book, and uh, I am quite excited to to chat about these things with you today, so thanks for having me again. Let's see if we can uh, stumble into any controversy today, and uh, the, hey, the good news is there's no weird, gross creepy rape scenes this week to talk through so uh, i feel like yeah. uh, we're taking a step away from controversy <laughs> yeah and we'll get into it for the for its time this movie was very controversial but we'll get into that first let's go over to mia mia how are you doing i'm doing pretty great i'm excited to talk about frankenstein i really enjoyed the movie and i'm ready to get into it great so anybody who doesn't know i'm uh, in taiwan at the moment i'm uh, teaching english over here and Justin and Mia are somewhere in America. I think every time we recorded, you've been in a different state. That's <laughs> true. Like it. Where are you guys at now? Washington, Colorado, yeah, Texas, we're, somewhere? <laughs> we're in Washington right now, just outside of Seattle. We'll actually be here for maybe the next two recordings, and then we'll move again. So um, we'll keep, uh, keep it interesting on, uh, on locations, but yeah, we're uh, just outside of Seattle, and uh, lucky for us, it's not 100 degrees here like uh, our friends in the south are dealing with. Yeah, it's... Uh, Probably Taiwan, it's too, in Taipei. Huh? over here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're in the jungle in yeah, Taipei, over... man. Yeah, it's either, it's either brutally hot or flooding. Um, so, <laughs> but anyways, <laughs> yeah, that's where we're at. Let's talk about the book. So give me a minute here. I like to start off with my little history lessons. Uh, <laughs> so John Wilby would be proud. Yeah, yeah. 1931 Frankenstein. It was uh, loosely based on the book by Mary Shelley called Frankenstein or the Modern Prometheus, which was published in 1818. Um, and when we say loosely, me and Justin will talk about this a bit because we both re-listened to the, uh, the audio book. Uh, it is very loosely, to give an example, Justin, did you catch that they changed the main character's name with his friend? Yeah, um, instead of a Victor, it was, uh, it was Harry, or Henry, Henry. Henry, Henry, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And Which was his buddy. Was Victor. Right. Yep. They mm -hmm. changed the main character and his best friend's first name for some reason. Um, I, yeah, this movie takes a lot of liberties, that's for sure. Um, 
I think it may have something to do with the fact that the play was popular. So the play was actually uh, a big inspiration for the movie, not just the book. And of course, I've never seen the play, but maybe that has something to do with it. I remember when we were talking about it the other day, I mentioned that I thought it was very different. Uh, and I was kind of, it was, I think it was the first time in maybe ever, but in a long time where I like read the book as I was getting ready to watch the movie and I actually watched the movie halfway through the book. And then again, last night preparing for today. And um, they took, <laughs> they took a lot of liberties, but on the second viewing, there are a lot more similar themes from the movie that, uh, that merge with the book than I caught the first time. So they, they, uh, but it's, they definitely, you're right. They definitely take all kinds of liberties with the book. Yeah, for sure. And let's, Let's go ahead and take just a minute here to talk about uh, Mia didn't have a chance to read the book, um, but I have read this book several times. Was this this was your first time reading? This it, was right? my first uh, time. Yep. Uh huh. This was a book I read um, as a teenager, pretty young teenager. And speaking, you actually mentioned our uh, our old teacher there earlier. <laughs> he once said, I don't know why I remember this, but he said that Rebel Without a Cause, James Dean, was the perfect teenage movie. And I've always felt that Frankenstein is the perfect teenage book, and it should be taught in schools because anyone who's ever been an angsty teenager, <laughs> um, I think, could appreciate <laughs> Frankenstein. You know, all the goth kids like to read Edgar Allan Poe, and that's great. Um, but Frankenstein is a must-read too. What do you think? Do you agree with me? I was so I loved the book, um, as I think I told you. I had never read it before. Um, I've been getting back into fiction, partly inspired by our conversations here. And um, yeah, like the angst and, you know, it's told a, a couple of different ways, partly through letters and partly through what reads like a first person uh, recount from, uh, from Victor Frankenstein. And, you know, it's much more that, you know, the, the book is much more about how he's tormented than focusing on how hideous or how at least my, my takeaway was it, uh, so much of it's about how he's tormented by his obsession with science and regret for making the monster um and not as much of it's focused on the kind of horridness of the monster where the movie really kind of plays plays that up and uh, the monster actually in the book spoiler can i give a little bit of a spoiler um early yeah, it's on Jim. about 200 years old so <laughs> it seems fair so you know like, it, it's just the monsters created when the monsters created it's kind of like a child and with not it's not evil or horrible it has a horrible existence and the, the way it's treated because of how it looks is what taint what turns it horrid i mean there's some things of that in the movie too but yeah it was it was really really well done and the, just the depth of of explaining kind of moment to moment of how the of how Mary Shelley's trying to get you to get into Victor Frankenstein's shoes is just beautifully done. I'm, I was a big fan. Yeah, I always liked it. I think a, a, a lot of reasons why people appreciate that book and this movie and a lot of the great horror monsters is they're not just evil. They are misunderstood, right? And the movie kind of gets that. We'll get into that a little more later, but all the stuff with him um, wanting to be accepted and then being rejected and what that does to his um, his mentality is what makes the book very interesting and why I think all 
although as I said, angsty teenagers should definitely be reading it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I agree a hundred percent. I mean, it's there are some places about it that probably scare people for sure, and it certainly deals with life and death, just like the movie does. Uh, so people should be prepared for like a real treatment of the human condition, um, in case they're not. But um, yeah, it was it was beautiful, and the and the and the book. I like, we're going to get to the ending of the movie, but I really like how the book pulls the ending together. Um, I thought it, it felt like a complete work. Um, so big fan. You should read the book. I know we're talking about movies. I'm a huge book fan as well. So uh, I also, as you know, read some HP Lovecraft recently, which at some point we should uh, talk about because Lovecraft's been in the news recently as well. But uh, yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun and recommended for angsty teenagers. I agree. <laughs> Yeah, H.P. Lovecraft, that's a throwback to our first episode where we did Reanimator. Uh -huh. Go back and listen to that one if you haven't yet. But yeah, last thoughts on the book before we uh, get back to the movie. Uh, I think it's great. It's very uh, very Shakespearean, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. The only thing I, that irked me about the, the book, and I guess it was just because listening to the audio version this time, there are two words that Mary Shelley is in love with, uh, pleasure and wretch. Like everything uh, yeah. good that happens is done with pleasure and everything bad is wretched. And yeah, sometimes yeah. several times a page, something is with pleasure. <laughs> and that's, that's, that's my only complaint about the book. Literally the only complaint. Yeah. Um, the, well, the one thing that she does too, which uh, I noticed she did a lot of, Olaf Stapleton did a, a, bunch, a decent amount of, and it's a, it's a criticism of him sometimes, but she also does a lot of like, Oh, it's just unspeakable. I can't even describe it to you. Like, it's <laughs> yeah. so bad that I can't describe it, which is a good device because then you're just left to think about it yourself. Um, but you, you, only so many things can be so horrific that they're undescribable when you're describing them in a book. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's kind of the author's job to uh, describe. But part of that is the time period and the sensibilities of, mm -hmm. you know, what you can get away with. Well, anyways, that's a brief talk about the book. We'll mention it more as we go on, but let's get back to uh, the movie introduction. Let's see here. So we usually, people always refer to this as the first Frankenstein movie. That's not um, not really correct. There were at least three Frankenstein films before this. Uh, the first was most likely in 1910, uh, a short film produced by Thomas Edison that was lost for decades, but it has actually since been found. I haven't had a chance to see it yet, but I'd like to. Oh, that's cool. They found yeah. it, huh? Mm-hmm. We should uh, uh, find a reason to look at that. 1910? Holy cow. Yeah, 1910. Yeah, very, very early days in film, well before sound. Uh, let's see here. There were two more, apparently, at least two more, in, from what I found, 1915 and 1920, but both of them are lost. So, oh, well. Uh, and this was not the first of the Universal monster movies either. Dracula had beaten it by just a few months. And if you want to count it, Phantom of the Opera came out in 1925. But usually we, uh, usually we think of this big cycle of the Universal monster movies as starting about 1931 and going into the early 50s. So, But this was certain, certainly one of the biggest ones. And with that, let's go ahead and go over to our initial impressions. Uh, Mia, what did you think about this movie? Was it the first time you had seen it? Yeah, so it's the first time I had seen the movie. And since I had not read the book, I one of the things I had told Justin was that um, I never really 
gotten much information about other than just knowing that it was Frankenstein. And so I thought Frankenstein was the monster the whole time. (laughs) And then learning that the monster, you know, just doesn't really have a name. It's more about the doctor and him creating the monster and the whole story. And so it was a lot of fun for me discovering that. Um, I really, I enjoyed the movie. Um, there are bit moments that were kind of like funny and, uh, and were kind of like interesting for me because at the time, you know, you couldn't say certain things and religion and uh, it was really controversial. And so, I, but I really, really enjoyed the movie. It was a lot of fun, educational for me because I had no background on it. Yeah, and I'm glad you brought up, I'm glad you liked it, and I'm glad you brought up the name thing, because I meant to discuss that. That's one of those things that horror nerds go on and on about. The monster doesn't have a name. That's right. Uh, Frankenstein is the creator, not the monster. Uh, But a lot of people, it's one of those things we've been arguing about that for so long that people go, you know what, if you want to call the monster Frankenstein, that's fine. (laughs) And actually, in even some of the later movies, pretty early on, they point out, that uh they they address that so if you want to call the monster frankenstein whatever but technically technically uh it's it's just the nameless monster Mm -hmm. Um, but what about you justin we talked about the book uh what'd you think about the movie so i had as as maybe people remember i've said this now a couple times i had different reactions the first and second time i watched it as with fulci and zombie and it's actually got me thinking about when and what times to watch movies and uh, when to try to dive into them. But the first time I, I was right in the midst of the book, I was really liking the book. I thought the movie was, I thought it was a little uneven the first time. I thought there was some like, some character development stuff that didn't play out right. I didn't like the addition of the, the evil assistant uh, at first. So I, I thought it kind of like short shifted the monster a little bit because I was, you know, I was in the midst of the book. After finishing the book and rewatching it last night, I really enjoyed it. Both times, what I'll say that I really liked is it's creepy. There's this like, you don't really know where or when it's taking place. There's this kind of these like creepy, I guess, German Gothic kind of influences. It was really creepy at multiple scenes and seeing the kind of way they played with the lighting and the way they did with kind of the technology at the time, I thought there's some some actually genuinely frightening scenes as well that have held up since 1931. So yeah, I enjoyed it. Yeah, and I'm glad you just mentioned again, This it's important to remember this movie is uh, almost 90 years old. It was you know, it's definitely black and white, uh, way before color, and in the very, very early days of sound, you know, so we're still just getting used to having sound in movies, so there are, I think there are some legitimate criticisms of the movie that you pointed out, but when you take into account what it did for the time and the influences had, that's where it really becomes special to me, and we'll get into that as we go, so let's jump into the plot. it begins with a warning to the audience that I started off the podcast by reading. <laughs> that was great. <laughs> and uh, I I like that. It's kind of cheesy. It's kind of silly. And I wish I could know how people reacted to that at the time. Because this movie did have a big impact on people at the time. It was controversial. Um, 
So were they doing that as a gimmick or as a protect our asses kind of thing? Uh, <laughs> well, what did thing you guys I think saw... about the opening? Go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, sorry. So the, the actor's name, I'm not going to remember. Do you have it written? Do you have it in front of you? Um, yeah, that's Edward Van Sloan. He was in a lot of those old movies. Yeah, so we, we looked into some like trivia stuff, and, uh, some background stuff. One of the things we saw, one, uh, apparently Sloan was, we'll wait till we get there. Uh, the, the thing I read said that he did it in good faith. Like he really thought the audience, it was kind of a throwback to the play era. That's something they would do at the beginning of a play. And uh, that he really thought it was scary and they should warn people. So I don't know if that's a true, you know, if that's the real story, but I, I agree. I like you. I, I, I like you. I like it too. I like um, you too, Justin. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was a nice fun touch and it was, uh, felt like it could have been, you know, you saying it was built as much on the play as the book makes sense because it has that. I mean, he literally comes out on a stage, like if yeah. it was a theater and says, this is, you know, well, you, you all heard it. So uh, I liked it. I thought it was a nice touch. Yeah. What about you, Mia? Did you did that surprise you the first time you saw it, or what did you think about that? Uh, it did surprise me, um, but it's like sort of like the old version of the new um, way that movie horror movies have done. The you know this movie is based on real events. Kind of reminds me of. <laughs> yeah, that's a good. That's a good yeah. connection. Yeah, but uh, but also I read into it and it was so it wasn't included from what what I got said that it wasn't initially included, but then they went back uh, because of the religious tones that some that um, the movie took on some of the wording that he said that might offend some people included it in the movie. Very interesting. Yeah, and we'll get into that because that's one that comes to one of the more controversial parts of the movie. But I'm glad you brought up because I had a note here to talk about this. Uh, this may have been the origin of that the, uh, as a marketing gimmick to warn people how horrible the movie is. <laughs> and it's a long, <laughs> long tradition. Um, you know, I'm trying to think of some good examples off the top of my head, but it happens a lot. No one under 18 will be admitted to see this film. Uh, I think last house on the left the trailer says to avoid fainting just keep repeating it's only a movie so this is something that's been done ever since then and I wonder if this was the first example but I'm glad you caught on to that so that's the opening what else do we have here oh did you guys catch this in the opening credits they don't credit Boris Karloff there's just a question mark just a question mark yeah, yeah that was great <laughs> yeah. Uh, of course, at the end of the movie, they do credit him, which is good, but it's just kind of a nice little touch that people are like, oh, who's the monster? The, to Kill a Mockingbird does that in the original version. Forget what's his, uh, I think it's Robert Duvall was maybe his first movie, who uh, Boo Radley is in the original version. It has like a question mark who it's going to be, I believe, oh. and then you don't find out who it actually is until until the end. Oh, okay. That's interesting. So My memory serves me correct. Yeah, I, I didn't know that, but that seems like it would be right. Uh, interesting trivia, though. Originally, or at least at one point, Bella Lugosi, who played Dracula a few months earlier, was going to play the monster, and instead it became Boris Karloff. And why exactly? It's hard to know. I mean, this was, you know, 90 years ago. But one of the stories is that Bella Lugosi, he kind of saw himself as um, 
a good-looking leading man, and he didn't want to be covered in makeup where no one could see his face, and he wouldn't have any lines, so he turned it down. There's different stories, but that's that's a little bit of trivia if you didn't know. Mm-hmm. So working through the plot here, we're er- still early on in the movie. It opens with, once we get to the actual movie, there's a funeral in a graveyard, and Justin – you were talking earlier the the phrase is german expressionism the art form that this movie is so inspired by german expressionism okay yeah well that's that makes more sense it was creepy uh and had some skeletons so i went with goth shame on me i guess <laughs> uh, we'll we'll forgive you for not knowing german expressionism but uh yeah people who it's know creepy movies, though yeah. It's creepy, man. It's like the, the opening opening like scene of the funeral in the graveyard. Everybody's dressed in black. There's like this real creepy overlay in the background. There's like a skeleton <laughs> that's like hanging out with them at the graveyard. And so it was like it's uh it sets this the scary tone from the very you know, see we're so desensitized to things now, but you know, seeing that I was like, ooh, that's kinda that's kinda creepy and sad and ooh. Yeah, it works really well, and those the Universal movies were very uh, influenced by German Expressionism, which was – not that I'm an art expert, but at least in film, it emphasized shadows and kind of jagged, illogical architecture that um, – it was about the feeling, the emotions of the scene mm-hmm. rather than the actual visual. So think about Tim Burton. Tim Burton's films are really influenced by German Expressionism, so – Early horror movies like Nosferatu, Cabinet of Dr. Caligari, German Expressionism was a big part of that. But after that, it gets a little darker still because they they go in, so they rob the grave after everybody's left. Uh, Dr. Frankenstein and Fritz, not Igor, it's Fritz, uh, goes in and they steal <laughs> the corpse. And then they go uh, cut down a man hanging. There's been a hanging, and they cut his body down, and you see him just – hanging from the pole it's to his back but that's pretty intense <laughs> yeah well and, and fritz is like kind of ravenous right the whole time he's like yeah. ah dead bodies yes let's take all the dead bodies and it's like okay chill out there just a touch <laughs> well he goes back and forth between being incredibly enthusiastic and scared like it doesn't it doesn't make any sense. At one point, he's like, yeah, let's rob the grave. And he's like, oh, I don't want to cut the body down. Yeah, he didn't want to cut the body down. He was actually scared. <laughs> <laughs> but he climbs up there with a knife in, his, knife in his mouth and cuts the body down. But uh, they can't use it. The brain is no good. So next we have the brain-stealing scene. Edward Van Sloan, again, who was the, uh, the gentleman delivering the opening monologue, is also playing Professor Waldman. He's giving a little lecture, and after he leaves, there's two brains left out, very conveniently labeled normal brain and abnormal brain. Uh, <laughs> Just so you know, for sure, right. which one to not get. <laughs> and I have to mention this at some point, so let me go ahead and say it. If you've never seen Young Frankenstein by Mel Brooks, go watch that movie because uh, it's parody great in there. But anyways, so Fritz <laughs> drops the normal brain, and so he looks around and steals the abnormal brain. And this causes some problems, but we'll save that for a little later on. <laughs> uh, move forward a little bit. Victor and Elizabeth. So Victor is uh, Dr. Frankenstein's friend, and Elizabeth is his fiance. They're talking about Frankenstein, and they're worried because he is in uh, seclusion doing his experiments. And there's a weird moment here that 
I don't know if this is from the play or maybe they meant to do something more with it, but it's implied that Victor is in love with Elizabeth, but she shoots him down and that's never brought up again. <laughs> yeah, it was, yeah, was really, really weird. Awkward. Yeah, so I don't I, I don't know what that's about. It goes nowhere, but oh well. So <laughs> it was definitely a dead end. Like it builds it up for like, oh, his best friend wants his fiance and then nothing. They are cuddling a little bit a little later in the movie at one point. Um, so maybe that's something. But yeah, then it just abandons it. Yeah, just, uh, yeah, I don't know. And that's not, that's definitely not in the book. So maybe it was something to do with the play or maybe, who knows. But anyway, it's just a weird little moment. So they go meet the professor who explains what's going on. Dr. Frankenstein, he's a genius, but he's obsessed with creating human life. So they convince him to go check in on Dr. Frankenstein. And another funny little moment there they say will you come with us no i won't go with you please okay i'll go with you yeah <laughs> if you ask nicely <laughs> yeah yeah so just another one of those little things that's set up and then immediately goes away but um so then we cut to frankenstein and, and fritz the assistant in the lab they're preparing to bring the monster to life but they're interrupted by the three he tries to get them to leave but victor calls him crazy and that changes his mind so he's like, ah, crazy am I? I'll show you. And he takes them down, and they get to see him bring the monster to life. Now, this is one of the most influential scenes in the movie, which makes it one of the most influential scenes in cinema history. Uh, the monster is elevated up on the platform through a hole in the roof. There's machinery, and uh, a lightning storm brings the monster to life. And as someone who studied film a little bit, the editing here is really interesting. Most of the editing is uh, pretty slow it just watches the action but here the editing speeds up and you're zooming in on the equipment and flashing lights so this has influenced every mad scientist scene ever so it's kind of <laughs> cool to see the origin of that oh and then we get to the most controversial moment probably probably of the movie the it's alive scene mm -hmm. uh, maybe the most famous quote in the movie when the monster comes to life, Dr. Frankenstein's, you know, he freaks out. It's like, it's alive, it's alive, it's alive. And then he says uh, a line that was censored for a very long time. He says, now I know what it feels like to be God. Yeah, so now maybe, you know, that wouldn't mean much to us. But at the time, that was thought to be extremely blasphemous. I don't know. You guys have anything to say about that? So, one, it just dawned on me that uh, this is also the influence for Pinky and the Brain. And uh, I had not pieced that together before just right now while you were describing that that scene is probably like all the mad scientist scenes and you've got Fritz and you've got the genius scientist. And so I'm like now having all of these uh, flashbacks to Pinky and the Brain and the way that scene characterized so much of that. So the the scene is is beautiful um as someone who didn't study film but just kind of taking it in it's a beautiful scene it's well done it's creepy um it's it's intense it speeds up as you mentioned that's something i didn't wasn't able to notice in the moment but fits with how it kind of made my pulse quicken when he does the it's alive it's alive it's alive scene it's beautiful uh, i mean it's really i thought it was really really well executed and uh, now I know what it like know what it's like to be God thing. What I'll say about that is this is 1931, right? When it um, came out, yeah. And you know, we should all remember how far we've come from being that oppressed by religion in this country, because 
you know, we can say that now. We can say it on the podcast. We can talk about those as concepts. I don't think in any way that's super offensive to kind of play that out in your mind. It shows as a society, I think, how, how we can talk about these things a little bit better than we could then. I think it, uh, it resonates with the themes in the book. It's an interesting thing to contemplate, but I'm not surprised that in 1931 people freaked out. People in 1951 would have freaked out when they heard that all the way probably up into the 70s. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I enjoyed the scene. I'm not surprised that it was controversial then, but it's a beautiful scene. Yeah, now we just use it as a, like, a, oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. It's no longer really a taboo. It's part of slang, I think. Yeah, now. <laughs> yeah now it's just part of almost popular culture. So it's a beautiful scene. I'm glad to know the history about it. And I do, I do think that it does show we're not as oppressed by religion anymore in this country in the same way that we were. And it, it actually is like, when we talk about other religions having that influence in other countries, most Americans are like, what? You don't get to say what you want to say? So good for us. <laughs> well, it's interesting because uh, it did shock people, but it, it kind of makes me think of The Exorcist. When The Exorcist came out, a lot of people, uh, and to this day, will say that that's an anti-religious movie. But really, um, if anything, it's a pro pro-religious statement because it's not shown that it's it's not like it's praising him for for acting this way you know he's shown to be insane and when the exorcist came out the catholic church membership went up you know and the priests are the ones who (laughs) right so uh it's interesting that people would go oh that's that's offensive when really it's it's showing that that's not healthy that he wants to be god or feel like god but moving along so we're still really early in the movie. Got to speed up a little bit. Victor and Elizabeth. Fortunately, it's a, a fairly short movie, but uh, we see the monster. Uh, we know that it's work, but we don't actually see the monster yet. So then, Victor and Elizabeth go to Baron Frankenstein, Doctor Frankenstein's father. And let me just say, he is maybe my favorite character in the whole movie, except for Boris Karloff as Frankenstein. He's just this grumpy old man. Uh, he reminds me of uh, Statler and Waldorf, the old guys from the Muppets. <laughs> yes, yes, that's perfect. <laughs> yeah, he's just a grumpy old man, and he's like, rah, rah, rah. I mean, he's he's got some sort of smart ass comment about everything, and I love Baron Frankenstein. <laughs> so uh, that's hilarious. That's so yeah, funny. he. Well, I won't go there. He reminds me of some people we know, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> you shouldn't go there. Yeah. <laughs> but if you want so, to, I'll go there with you. We've already got on religion today. We can. No, <laughs> let's. Let's. I think it's already been edgy enough. So, uh, moving along, mm. the Burgermeister comes in. Uh, he's another character. Oh, that yeah. And uh, the Burgermeister, in some form, shows up in a lot of these movies, and he's like, um, the whole village is excited about this wedding. When's it going to be? And uh, grumpy old man, <laughs> Baron von Frankenstein, is like, ah, there won't be any wedding if I, you know. So, he, so the Burgermeister gets mad and leaves. Back at the lab, Edward Van Sloan is talking to Frankenstein. He says that um, this is where Frankenstein learns that he has put a criminal brain into the monster. Okay, now we got to stop and talk about this because I got a lot to say about this scene. <laughs> um. <laughs> Before I go off, does anybody have anything else they want to say about this? So, the, go, Mia, do you have anything? No, go ahead. Okay. 
Um, so I, I don't like this scene mostly because it takes away so much from the book. Um, it doesn't need to be an abnormal brain. There's some other things that play out here that are ridiculous, but it could just be a brain and then like how society treats him and then what happens to him. Just as someone's interested in brain stuff, I would have thought that was better than like, this is the fucked up person over here. We're going to give you the fucked up brain. So you must be a criminal now. Kind of didn't sit well with me, uh, particularly because it just like cheapens the story. That's like a richer story than that. So I found it annoying but uh, there's some funny things that happen there um so tell us the funny parts <laughs> yeah i was just you pretty much said what i was thinking that uh it it's unnecessary because in the book the monster is not in any way evil if if he is evil he is made evil uh by society yeah. rejecting him and in here okay problem number one why couldn't dr frankenstein who can build a human being not recognize the diseased brain <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> yeah so there's your first problem yeah. he's like what i mean in the opening scene they even explain like look at how different this brain is <laughs> yeah so, look how diseased it is <laughs> yeah. yeah so why he couldn't tell it was diseased i don't know um but th they kind of had if you want to go in the direction that the monster is evil because he has an evil brain that's fine but they still kind of go the direction of the monster is not evil he's he's reacting that way because fritz is torturing him and society people are attacking him and they're afraid of him so it still doesn't really even add up yeah that's a good yeah. point yeah so what's the point of having the evil brain scene if the monster is still not going to be evil i don't know so that's just one of those weird an area where i think the book was better you know uh what that makes me think of too jared is something you mentioned in our earlier scene it seems like something that could have been a hangover from the play they like yeah. would have made more sense in a play to like highlight as a prop or something. Um, and then they just like adapted it straight to the movie. Yeah. I wish I could have, uh, if I thought about it, I, I would like to have gotten my hands on a screenplay, uh, a script mm. of the play and see, you know, where this is coming from. Cause that might explain some of this, but yeah, we should try to do that and report back. It would be fun to, to see what actually the play was like. Cause some of this seems like it just had to be picked up cause it has such a theatrical feel at times too. Yeah, so maybe we can get back on that in a future <clears throat> podcast. But then, finally, the monster walks into the room backwards for some reason. I did catch that last night. Yeah, did you see that, Mia? That was ridiculous. I did, I did. <laughs> I mean, I understand the role it plays in the scene. Like, they're, they're drawing out the tension, like, uh, you, before you get to the big reveal. But it mm -hmm. doesn't really make sense why he's walking backwards. I don't – anyways, but it's a cool scene. He he uh, he walks into the room, and let's talk about the monster's appearance. This is one of the most iconic monsters of all time. I mean, everybody has grown up seeing this monster, even if you've never seen the movie. Um, I mean, neither of you had seen the movie, but you know what the monster looks like. Every Halloween, mm -hmm. you see it everywhere. It's been referenced a million times. Um, yeah. This The makeup was done by a man called Jack Pierce. He worked on a lot of these movies. Apparently, it took four hours every day to put his makeup on goodness wow yeah so what do we think do we have any opinions about the uh the monster's appearance did you like it does it lose its effectiveness because you've seen it in pop culture so many times well for me i thought the makeup was great um one of the things that the movie does is it builds up to the reveal um so whenever he you first whenever dr frankenstein first um kind of 
introduces the monster laying in the bed. They've got his face bandaged, which doesn't really make sense to me, but it's, you know, it's a build up towards the backwards reveal, right? Where he reveals his face. And so, you know, I've seen Frankenstein's face in like pop culture. I mean, it's hard to not remember, you know, the monster mash and all. I've seen it in Scooby-Doo and, and so the many monsters. different. <laughs> yeah, the monster's yeah. face. And so it's great um, special effects for the face. I think even for the time, um, it, you know, there's movement in the mouth and it's just, it's really uh, some inspiring work, I think. Yeah, it was great. I think it still looks good. Uh, it wasn't like the first big makeup effects. I mean, Lon Chaney had been doing some really cool stuff before that, but I think it looks great. Um, and also we get to see why Boris Karloff is so legendary in this role, because even though he never has any lines, doesn't have any dialogue in this movie, uh, he says so much with his body language and his facial mm -hmm. expressions, uh, particularly in this scene. He comes in and he's just sort of confused, you know, like if you just suddenly existed uh, and he doesn't really know what's going on. He's confused by the sun and he kind of looks at Frankenstein in a sort of childish way. He kind of gestures towards him like he wants him to come here. He doesn't really know what to do. And also the way he walks has influenced zombie movies forever in some ways we've done three zombie movies in a row haven't we um, <laughs> yeah reanimator re zombie last week and this week frankenstein's monster is not a zombie but it's kind of kind of is i mean it's a corpse stitched together from body parts and brought to life but uh, his walk with his outstretched hands is uh when people do a zombie that's usually what they do so mm -hmm. again we get to see how this movie is so influential and Boris Karloff is brilliant here. So everything is going well until Fritz, who, in my opinion, is the real bad guy of the movie. Uh, he bursts in with a torch and scares the monster. Uh, everybody overreacts because the monster gets upset. He's scared. They attack the monster, tie him up, and lock him in the cellar, where Fritz continues to torment him until the monster kills Fritz. So bye-bye, Fritz. You served your purpose. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so can, we, can I add something here about Fritz's death? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he was a jerk. He's hung. Did you see that? Oh, so, yeah. like, even though Frankenstein is kind of, like, learning how to, which I was going to agree with you, that I think Boris just, I mean, it's really, I think, really good original acting. And to your point, it's everywhere. Uh, if this is the first instance, one of the first instances of this, I mean, it's just, it's beautifully done also from an acting standpoint. He, he nails it. <laughs> but I did find it a little kind of weird that he's like, he's learning to move around, but he can tie Fritz up and do a traditional, like, hanging. Uh, yeah. So I thought that was uh, a little bit of a stretch there. <laughs> yeah. Well, were you going to say something, Mia? Well, um, well, actually, you know, the thing is, like, he does, he does hang which you know I don't condemn even with an abuse you shouldn't hang uh but yeah so he he does hang but the thing is like you don't really see how he does it so in my what I thought he did he just kind of like plopped him on somewhere like on I don't know 
because um, he doesn't have any. Well, you know what? Now that I think about it, he did have chains in his hands. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah, it could have been the hanging. But either way, I mean, yeah, I guess logically there's some issues, but uh, it's a very effective image. It's very short and you can miss it, but it's very creepy when you see it. It kind of catches uh-huh. you off guard to just see Fritz hanging there. But Fritz kind of gets what he deserves. Really and he's creepy. really responsible for everything that happens in this, <clears throat> in this movie, I think. Um, and that character is not in the book at all. But anyway, so the doctor and Frankenstein, they, they drug the monster. They're planning to kill him. And at that moment, though, Victor bursts in, and Victor does this a lot in this movie. He just bursts in and announces what's about to happen. <laughs> it happens again <laughs> later on. We'll, uh, we'll get to that. But so, you know, hey, your dad and your fiance are coming, so they have to hide the monster. And uh, we get more <laughs> of the wonderfully grumpy old man, Baron Frankenstein. He's complaining about having to walk upstairs, and I love him. I can't get enough of him. But uh, when they go to Frankenstein, he, uh, Dr. Frankenstein seizes Elizabeth, and the stress of everything uh, overwhelms him, and he basically collapses or has a nervous breakdown. They take him home to recover, and Edward Van Sloan goes to destroy the monster, but it wakes up, k- kills him, and escapes into the countryside. So next, everyone is preparing for the wedding, uh, and for the first time, we get... Uh, Daddy Frankenstein, Baron Frankenstein, Dr. Frankenstein's father, he's in a good mood and he's kind of charming. <laughs> <laughs> he's actually happy. There's a wedding going on, there's alcohol. And another little. I love that you find him charming because he is such a dick. He, he is, but he's a, he's a charming dick. He's an entertaining dick, you know, so that makes up for it a little bit. But um, another little moment that I love, he opens up a bottle of this really old wine and he's talking about how it's years old and he says, um, Get the servants some champagne. This stuff's wasted on them. <laughs> yeah yeah that's what i'm talking about right there yeah. he's like this this is with him right there he does he's not even quiet about yeah. it he's like this this uh this wine's too good for the servants give them some of the cheaper stuff uh we get some fun fun scenes of the the village the whole village is celebrating this wedding i guess things were kind of boring back then um but anyways back to the monster and we're getting to the second most controversial scene the monster meets a little girl by the lake whose father has gone off to the town. And it's, this is a very, very beautiful scene, I think, because this little girl, she's young and she's very cute. And this is the first person that the monster meets that isn't afraid of him. And so mm-hmm. she tries to play with him. She shows him how he can take these flowers and throw them into the lake that they're playing next to. And the flowers float along. But when the flowers, when they run out of the flowers, you can see boris as the monster thinking and he picks her up thinking that she will float and throws her into the water of course she doesn't float she drowns and the monster is confused and he runs away so that was another scene that was heavily censored for a long time and uh one of the best parts of the movie i think it's very moving don't you guys think another lose another lose for censorship another real mark against censorship those are like two of the best scenes in the movie the people were trying to censor out. I mean, that scene too, I mean, it's tough, but that's, that's the whole point. <laughs> the whole <Yeah>. point <laughs> is that yeah. it's tough. Poor yeah, little Maria. Yeah. Little Maria. Her name. And she's great, isn't she? I mean, yeah, she's great. child actor, she's great. She's very cute. But that scene really captures the monster's innocence and how, again, in the this is another big part of the book. He's not 
truly a monster. He's just ugly, and people are afraid of him, and bad situations happen, and he doesn't mm-hmm. understand what's going on. So he well, doesn't the book, know what too, he's doing. Well, they even botch it. Yeah, well, they, it's different here. I mean, it's a different moral concept. But in the book, you know, the monster kills on purpose. By the time the monster kills, he's doing it on purpose. So it's interesting that the movie went with abnormal brain, but then being innocent and killing on accident. Yeah. But maybe that's not the last time this monster will kill. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah, in the book, he eventually uh, starts killing as a way to get back at Dr. Frankenstein, who, Good. after he's been rejected by society and everybody for, what, two years of his life, he decides, okay, if I can't be – there's actually a line in the book. I'm not going to try and quote it because I'll mess it up where he says, you know um, – basically that he wanted to be good but he couldn't be good so he's going to be evil instead mm-hmm. when he comes to his creator for love and even his creator doesn't love him and that's like it for him essentially and his creator won't even create him a love for him uh, yeah. so he's like fuck it all but that part of the book justin gets brought up in the sequel to this movie bride of frankenstein but, oh really uh, yeah so okay. and bride of frankenstein is i think most people will back me up on this it's a better movie some people will even say Son of Frankenstein, the third one, is the best. But I definitely think Bride of Frankenstein is better. It deals with that part of the book. Again, sort of. But yeah. anyways, so back at the wedding celebrations, Elizabeth confesses to feelings of impending doom. Basically, she's become <laughs> paranoid. To Dr. Frankenstein, he's trying to calm her down. But she realizes that lowen's character is missing and she's wondering what's going on so she's having like a panic attack basically he calms her down but just then victor bursts in again once again that's his role in this movie to burst in and say what's going on uh (laughs) he tells frankenstein hey the doctor's been murdered and the monster is loose so dr frankenstein locks elizabeth in the room which by the way that happens a lot in movies when in real life have you seen a door that locks from the outside only from the outside yeah (laughs) in prison yeah in prison (laughs) but that happens all the time in movies where someone is locked in a room and then on the inside they can't anyways that's another tangent but um (laughs) so he locks her locks elizabeth in the room but unfortunately that's where the monster goes and confronts her he doesn't attack her but he scares her and she faints so back on the streets we get another one of my favorite part of the movie and one of the saddest parts of the movie and most effective parts of the movie is the farmer carrying Maria through the street. Mm, and it's, yeah. done, it's done really well because um, oh gosh, there's yes. a lot of long takes of him carrying his daughter and everybody's celebrating in the background. And as he's walking past, they're slowly realizing what's going on. And I, it's a very effective scene. You guys. Yeah. Think? Yeah, I agree. Yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> it just is. I mean, it's, just, you have yeah. to see it. There's really not a good way to, it's really effective. And one of the things I really liked about the scene where he's carrying his daughter is you can kind of feel the crowd growing. And I think that it does a, it does a nice job as you're watching it. You kind of get drawn into the crowd effect and you can kind of feel the mob mentality growing throughout the scene. And I thought that was something that I've never been a part of a mob so you only have them like described and see active videos of them and in today's world they're a little bit mobs are accomplishing different things than they were in late 1800s so it was really that's like something that doesn't really happen today in the same kind of way and you can feel what it like the movie made me feel what that must have been like for something tragic to happen in your little town 
in the midst of a of a party and then it turned the way it turns yeah and i'm glad you brought that up because it does bring us to the next point it turns into a mob right that's exactly what yep. happens mm -hmm. uh so the next thing is everybody's followed this man to uh they follow him to the burgermeister and he explains you know my daughter's been killed it was the monster and so everybody's like okay the mob the mob uh, is a classic trope that probably comes from this movie everybody gets their little torches and goes the <laughs> yeah they, they uh, have yeah. their literal torches <laughs> yeah. the only yeah. thing that's missing is pitchforks there are no pitchforks yeah, they do yeah. have torches. <laughs> uh, yeah. maybe <laughs> uh no pitchforks but torches so um they go out looking for the monster and naturally dr frankenstein is the one who finds him they get into a fight and did you guys notice in the scene he almost sets himself on fire on that torch yeah, he like sits on it yeah mm -hmm. uh the monster hits him and he drops his torch and then he's thrown back and he falls on the torch and he like kicks it out of the way mm -hmm. but to his credit they keep the scene going <laughs> but mm -hmm. yeah he almost catches on fire in that scene so that's interesting mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah um, <laughs> He reacts pretty quickly. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he jumps up and kicks it away. <laughs> <laughs> so the monster knocks him unconscious and carries him to an old windmill. Another famous image from the uh, from this movie. He locks them inside as the villagers follow. The monster ends up throwing Frankenstein from the top of the windmill, and the villagers set the windmill on fire with the monster inside. And then we get another very sad, uh, sad moment where we see him inside like just completely panicking as fire surrounds him uh a large board traps him and the windmill burns down presumably killing him mm -hmm. and then we have the ending scene where once that's over well i'll let you see what you guys think first uh we cut back to frankenstein's house we see that he's survived he's in bed the servants bring him some wine, but grumpy old dad drinks it instead. He toasts the family, and the movie ends. What did you guys think about that ending? Did it feel out of place to you? Yes, for me, it certainly did. Um, I felt like, yeah, he Frankenstein probably should have been dead. Um, he got thrown out, out of a windmill onto the windmill blade, if I remember correctly. Yes. So, um, you know, broken back maybe. But... <laughs> But um, yeah, it felt really out of place. I think it was just kind of like it gave the it was trying to give like an audience like a happy resolution or like it was just like such a weird thing to like want to toast to this guy's, you know, I mean, he in the movie, it shows that he survived, you know, um, but usually you don't survive stuff like that. But I don't know, maybe it was just it was just also felt like a really quick wrap up. Yeah. What do you think, Justin? Anything else to do? You agree? Anything else to add there? Or? Yeah, I mean, it just it feels like they wanted to tie a bow on it, um, and it's probably given the time period, maybe not the wrong call, <laughs> given all the other things they were throwing at, at the audience at the time. But it also it feels like, yeah, it feels like you're missing 15 minutes of footage somewhere. Um, like it kind of comes to an abrupt stop. I, I would echo that both me and I, as the as the monsters trapped into the windmill, kind of kind of did a little bit of a. Ugh, that's hard to watch. It's kind of sad, and he seems just terrified. Um, so I, I think that was a pretty effective. The windmill scene was really effective, but uh, yeah, the, the ending felt a little cheap. It's not how the book ends. 
<laughs> and the book does much better ending to the much more justice to the characters in the end i think yeah i think we're all pretty much thinking the same way here to me it feels like maybe they realized this is a dark movie and it is a dark movie um and it was controversial so maybe they just decided hey let's end the movie on a lighter note and tell everybody hey everything's okay yeah it does feel now it feels a little out of place if anything they should have ended right before that scene yeah Um, yeah i just let it end like where he's like on the ground at the end and just leave it up to the to you to infer that everything went poorly (laughs) because that's the takeaway i like also your interpretation of this as potentially pro-religious by the fact that what actually plays out is a mad evil you know a mad scientist does tries to play god and i mean he does live but everything goes horribly for him and people die i had liked that as kind of a uh, an observation to the moral story here yeah i think that's kind of what they were going for i'm not sure was that emphasized as much in the book? I don't think it was so much emphasized as him playing God, and that's why it was bad. In the book, it was more just like he's obsessed and doesn't take the book, responsibility yeah. for his creation. Yeah. My, so my interpretation of the book was that it was it was obsession and obsession of science and progress, uh, science as progress without putting things in a proper context. But yeah, I mean, because in the book, he goes like complete obsessive and works 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 and uh so yeah that's that's my interpretation yep so that's the end of the movie and what i forgot to do was say that this was actually your pick justin for this week so should have done this at the beginning of the podcast but why did you why did you uh pick this movie and anything else to say about it before we wrap up yeah so um i have been reading uh, early science fiction from the early 1900s and it it turns out that so much of the original stuff is like at the beginning we've like built on these themes but it has structured so much of the conversation so all I was really trying to get at with Frankenstein was like an early classic that I didn't know as much about as I'd like to know about I knew I knew that Frankenstein wasn't the monster, that it was the doctor, because you had told me growing up. <laughs> um, but I knew nothing else uh, other than that. I didn't, I don't think I'd seen the movie. I hadn't read the book. So I wanted a, I wanted some incentive to go learn another early classic science fiction and work. And uh, I was blown away, to be honest. I mean, the the movie, I... It was great. It, it, the imagery of it is to you shows up everywhere. It's really cool to know where all that comes from. It's creepy. It's fun. But to be honest, it, the excuse to read the book was what I really enjoyed the most. Um, it was it was really nice to be exposed to well done horror science fiction literature from that time period. I just the things they were thinking about and is so strikingly similar to what we're dealing with today at the intersect of those things that I, it's really, really cool to see them play out in literature. So um, I, it was, thanks for the excuse to both read the book. That was your idea. And to let you pick the movie and watch the movie because I've had a wonderful time with it. Yeah, and I don't know as much about science fiction as I do horror. I, I like science fiction, but horror is definitely my main thing. But uh, a lot of people will tell you this is the first true science fiction story. Uh, 
yeah, yeah, someone who knows more about science fiction can can give their opinion on that. But I can't really think of anything before this that you could really call science fiction. No, I mean the big wave of so this was what late eighteen hundreds. Eight. Uh, uh, no, the book came out in eighteen eighteen. Eighteen eighteen. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Then it. I mean, the only the other similar stuff, like I said, that I have been reading is early nineteen hundreds. Yeah. Um, and that's some pretty original stuff there too. So, you know, it's cool too in the book that Mary Shelley does an introduction where she describes why she wrote the book, and so I, I encourage people to read that too. The what she was trying to accomplish and what the events that led to her writing basically a short story horror was just from like a game they were sitting around on the weekend yeah. with her poet yeah. husband and some friends and they're like let's each write a horror story and compare them on monday and that was like that's awesome that's what we need <laughs> to do when we get together let's get together on a friday all right on monday everyone share their horror story and then it just becomes a world classic it's just outrageous so, but yeah, I really enjoyed it. Thanks for letting me pick it out. And uh, what do uh, what do we have coming up next? Well, first, let's ask uh, Mia. Is there anything else you want to say about uh, Frankenstein? Are you glad you watched it? Anything else to add that we didn't get to? Um, I'm certainly glad I got to watch it. Um, learned a lot more. Um, I feel like that now my uh, childhood is complete. Because now I know the difference between the doctor and the monster. Um, <laughs> it's, I like the funny connection of Pinky and the Brain. Thanks, Justin. Um, mm -hmm. I thought, you know, I enjoyed the movie. Um, thought the ending was a little rushed. But I'm certainly glad I got to watch it. And I think I'm definitely going to be checking out the book. Um, as you both recommended, it's... I think it'll fill a lot of the holes for me, and I certainly want to get my hands on the script to really check it out. And but uh, I really enjoyed the movie and would recommend. Good, yeah. I mean, considering a lot of people won't even watch a black and white movie, and this is barely even a sound movie. So, mm -hmm. uh, considering how old it is, I think it holds up really well to modern audiences. It will be a little slow, um, but if you if you can appreciate something from a different time period, especially if you can appreciate the influences had, I think you'll like this movie. I do recommend it. Like I said earlier, um, the sequel I do believe is better. And there were a lot of sequels to this movie. And there were a ton of these types of movies. So you had Dracula, Frankenstein, The Invisible Man, The Wolfman. I recommend all of them. But Frankenstein had several sequels. Um, and then in the 40s, you started having the crossover movies with, with the other monsters. And then you start having the Abbott and Costello movies. And so let's see here. Moving on to next week. Next week, I will have a writing up the week after this comes out where I'm going to be looking at Bride of Frankenstein. If anybody is interested in reading that over on our Rabbit Weasel Reviews Facebook page. And then I guess with that, next week is my pick. And we are going to be watching Creep Show. Yes. Uh, have either of you? Well, have either of you seen Creep Show? Justin, I, you have. We've watched it. Mm -hmm. Yep, it's been a long time, but we watched Creep Show maybe yeah. twice. Maybe. No, what I, about Mia? No, I have not watched Creep Show, so I'm excited. Close to my favorite movie of all time, maybe my favorite. But anyways, so anything else to add before we go, guys? Thanks for having us. This is yeah. a lot of fun. 
All right. That's the end of episode three. We'll see you in a couple of weeks for Creep Show. Goodbye, everybody.